0: Four, Verse 32 and 33, uh, we'll be reading there in just a moment. <clears throat> uh, pretty much everybody here knows the Peanuts cartoon, right? So there's a, uh, one of the uh, Peanuts cartoons where Lucy uh, comes in and she demands that Linus change the TV channel. And she's threatening him with her fist if she doesn't change the channel. You all know Lucy's always tender-hearted and soft and, and kind. No, she was a little bit of a a bully, and Linus responds to her and says, What makes you think you can walk right in here and take over? asks Linus. These five fingers, says Lucy, individually they're nothing, but when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. Which channel do you want? asks Linus. Turning away, he looks at his fingers and says, Why can't you guys get organized like that? So as funny as this comic is, it is the reality for us as Christians that individually we are weak and insignificant. But when we come together as one, unified as the body of Christ, with the power of Christ within us, we can accomplish a lot. And the power of the Holy Spirit will be demonstrated among us When we as a church are as one, we will experience His blessing in our church and in our lives. So let's look at our text this morning. Acts chapter 4 verses 32 through 33 says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of these things belonged to him but was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power... The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Let's pray. Father God, help us this morning, Father, that your spirit, Lord, would uh, speak to us clearly, Lord, that you would touch each one of us, God, according to your uh, message that you have for us, God, that you would penetrate our hearts and our minds, Lord, and speak uh, directly to us this morning, God, not by my words, God, but by your spirit alone, in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning the title of my sermon is We Are One. And uh, first I want to talk about the unity. Unity is focusing on Christ together as believers, as one. Our text says those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And then it goes on to say, and with great power, giving the testimony of Christ and great grace was upon them all. You see, When you become a Christian, when you come into the house of God and you become saved, it's not about any longer where you've been or who you were, but it's where we are going. Where we are headed as individuals and as a church. We all come from different walks of life. We all have different pasts. And so did the early church. You look at the disciples alone, and some of them were tent makers, and some of them were fishermen, and some of them were tax collectors. Some of them probably grew up in different neighborhoods. Some of them probably looked different from one another. They came from different demographics. And the same is true in this church today. We all come from different backgrounds, some more similar than others and some more different than others. But in the church, in the body of Christ, it is a grave mistake to assume that we cannot connect because our upbringing was different from one another. Mm-hmm. Something that I speak about a lot is my wife, um, her best friend is somebody who, um, her husband actually also happens to be one of my best friends. And, and we, I oftentimes joke with him and said, if it wasn't for Jesus, our wives wouldn't even like each other. Their characters are just that much different. Their pasts are just that much different. Who they used to be are that much different. But because they found common ground in the body of Christ, their relationship is supernatural, if you will. But when we allow our character differences or our upbringings or the things of our past to cause a, a split between people is when... Things like this will hinder the work of God in our lives and in our church and even beyond. It was back in uh, July when we had evangelist Frankie Chi here uh, preaching revival services for us. And uh, if you were here for any of those, you probably heard uh, much of his testimony that he shared. And uh, if you don't know, Frankie Chi, before he got saved, lived a rough life. He had a difficult upbringing. He was a gang member. He was doing drugs. He was an alcoholic. He struggled with much of these things of the world. His wife at the time was leaving him because he was violent. She wanted to keep his children away from him. He was a rough dude living a rough life in a rough world. But then God got involved, and his testimony speaks of a drastic change. The love of Jesus Christ enters into his life, and he begins to change his life to look more like Jesus Christ. Now, much of you guys know my upbringing is a little bit different than Frankie Cheese. (laughs) I didn't do any of those things. Uh, glory to God for all of that. I grew up in church. I was a, a good little boy for the most part. I did get into some trouble, but nothing like what his life was. I was never a part of gangs. I, I never did drugs. I maybe drank a little bit, was not an alcoholic. My wife hasn't threatened to leave me. But Frankie Chia and I lived extremely different lives leading up to our commitments to Christ. Christ. We came from very different backgrounds. Our skin is different. He is Mexican. I'm about as white as it gets. There is nothing about us before Christ that was similar other than we're both men. But we, uh, after one of the services, we, him and I, just the two of us went out to get dinner together to kind of discuss uh, the the revival and just things that had been uh, taking place. And we we were talking to each other. And of course, he had been sharing his testimony throughout the week in his sermons. Um, I had Uh, met him previously and seen him preach times before I knew much of his story. And he began to ask me about my story. And as I told him about my life upcoming and things like that, we couldn't help but laugh that us two were sitting at a table having a cordial conversation about the things of God and the glory of Christ and what God is doing in our lives when we look at how different our lives had been leading up to our lives in Christ to think how amazing it was that God could bring two people so different, so opposite in contrast to one place and to have unity in the body of Christ with one another. You see, before God got involved, He might be the type of guy that I would cross the street when we're coming across that way and then He might cross the street after me. But life, when God gets involved, changes. Unity takes place and we sat at that table not as two opposites, not as two different people, but as brothers in Christ. So even though we once were so different, we found common ground in our love for Christ and for His church. And because of this, we didn't see each other as different. We no longer were opposites. The past didn't matter. The past was in the past. We sat at that table as brothers in Christ with one focus of advancing God's will in our lives and in the lives around us. And just like us today, this morning, we have different pasts. People who walk through these doors will come in that look different than us, have lived different than us. We all have at least something about us that is different than the person that's sitting next to us. But we We came to be Christians. We came to accept the love of Jesus Christ because we don't want to be who we used to be. We don't want to be what we used to be. So we should not let our past keep us from being unified with one another. But rather in Christ, our focus is not who we once were, but who Christ has made us today. 2 Corinthians 5:16 through 17 says, "From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. All of us were once lost and slaves to our sin." but now we are free. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We aren't who we used to be, but now we are children of God. We are a new creation, and we have Christ at the center of it all. We have Christ in common with one another, and our goal and our focus is Him and advancing His will. Our differences of our lives before no longer matter when our life is in Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 Uh, 12 through 13 says for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body though Many are one body. So it is with Christ for in the spirit We were all baptized into one body Jews or Greeks slaves or free We were all made to drink of one spirit Now if you don't know Jews and Greeks were very very different cultures uh, in Jesus' time. Slave and free, of course, are two com- complete opposites from another. But it says in, the te- in that text that we were all made to drink of one spirit. We were all made to be filled with the same Holy Spirit, to be saved by the same blood of Jesus Christ. You see, white or Hispanic, black or Asian, rich or young, uh, rich or poor, young or old, it doesn't matter. We were all made to partake in one spirit, and it is one spirit that unifies all of us. We must focus on Christ, and we must love one another. Jesus, when he's giving the, the greatest commandments to the Pharisees in Mark 12, verse 30-31, through 31, says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And he says, the second greatest commandment is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Jesus here is clearly stating that when you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, that that also includes loving your neighbor. Who is your neighbor? Look around your brothers and sisters in Christ the people who come through these doors and and experience the love of Jesus Christ these are the same people who we are called to love it doesn't matter what they look like or where they came from or what they used to do but all that matters is that are they part of your family are they saved are they part of the of what Jesus Christ wants to do and the answer is of course John 13, 35, Jesus says, By this people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is what the body of Christ is, is to, to love one another. They don't know that you are uh, one of Jesus' disciples because you know the Bible front and back and you've got scriptures memorized and you fast uh, once a week and you pray every... No, he says they will know that you are my disciples because of the love that you have for your brothers and sisters. What a beautiful thing it is in our church when we have love for one another. As we grow and as we do more this this year, let this remain the same in our church. Our church, as small as it is, has done this um, tremendously so far, and I pray that nothing will ever change that. People have come and people have gone in this body, but never have I heard anybody say that they left because they felt unwelcomed. They might say that out of bitterness, but that's a whole nother conversation. But can people come into this and feel the love of Jesus Christ because we express the love of Jesus Christ? Christianity was meant to be experienced with each other. It was meant to be something that we do with our brothers in Christ. Christianity is not a solo mission. Many times people today will say, I got my coffee and I got Jesus and I don't need anything else, right? No, you need fellowship. You need brothers and sisters. You need the church body. Modern Christianity today is so much different than it ever used to be. It used to be that if you wanted to hear the Word of God preached, as we are doing now, you had to get up off of your couch, you had to get in your car, and you had to drive to a church at a specific time. But now in today's day and age, with YouTube and podcasts and live streams and all of these things, the element of church or church has really changed drastically, especially since the COVID era. Now, don't get me wrong. These things can be good. They can be beneficial to us, but they also can be detrimental to the body of Christ. When extra resources like these are used with discernment, they can be good things. But if we allow them to replace church in our lives, they will ultimately damage us. Watching church online, as many people have tended to do today, will never replace the real deal. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This text tells us do not neglect to meet together. Do not forget to gather as Christians, to stir up one another, to love each other, to encourage each other into good works and to encourage each other into good attitudes, into a correct mindset. You see, a crucial part about church and fellowship happen outside of the organized part of church. We come here and we sing songs and we and we pray and we pray do the offering and we listen to a sermon, but how many know we come to church and outside of that organized parts of our service, there is so much more that happens. There is fellowship, and discussion, and conversation, and meeting together, and encouragement, and, and expressing our, our life issues with each other before and after the service, and just praying for each other, and confiding, and consoling one another, and encouraging, and building up. There is so much about church and the experience that happens here that you simply cannot get by live streaming the local megachurch. It used to be the local megachurch. Now it's just any church. Any church has got a camera up and running nowadays. And there's a place for that. We all had to do that in COVID. We all had, but so many people haven't come out of that. And they, they, they get up. They don't, they don't even get out of their pajamas. They got their breakfast crumbs all over their tummy. And they click on their TV. And they watch their church. And then they probably doze off for most of it. And they turn it off. And then they go back to life. As it was before. But even in the, in the house of God, coming to church on Sunday, we can miss so much if we let ourselves. So many people will, will come to church. They worship, they hear the sermon, and they go home. But if that's all that you're doing, if that's all that you're experiencing, then you're only getting part of what God wants for you in the house of God. When we come together as the body of Christ, as we often do, with the goal of building each other up, of being built up, the church becomes so much more than just an organization. It becomes so much more, as the world likes to call it, organized religion but rather the living and breathing body of Christ, functioning the way that He desired, working in the way that He wants us to work so that we can care for one another, look out for one another, just as the early church did. This is why we have so much going on all the time. This is why we have events and things that take place. It is so that we can come together together. Church wasn't meant to be only on Sunday. It wasn't even meant to be only within these walls. Church is, it is our services, yes. That is, that is a part of it. But it's also our fellowships. It's also our Bible studies. It's our events. It's simply gathering to help one another move on a weekend. Or, or pick weeds. Or whatever it is that somebody needs help with. The, the body is meant to care for each other. Christianity was meant to be lived out alongside other Christians. This is why we must not neglect to meet together. I've heard so many times people dismiss Hebrews 10:25 where it says do not forsake the assembling together of God's people. They dismiss it because they say well that doesn't apply specifically to church. So that's why I don't feel the need to go to church. Plus It's the only time we really hear much talking about assembling of God's people. They don't talk a whole lot about how important that is, so it must not be that important. You see, thinking like this has great flaws when you consider a couple of things. That information might be true when he says assembling. He's not talking about church services, but although church services are included in that, because last time I checked, when we have church, we assemble together. When we have fellowships, we assemble together. When we have Bible studies, we assemble together. Now, they might say, well, that's one of the only times in the New Testament where we really hear much about that. But consider this, if you will. A vast majority of the New Testament were letters that were written to a church or to a pastor of a church. These were literally letters written two churches on top of that the book of acts is the documentation of the founding of numerous new testament churches there are 27 books in the new testament as i said the book of acts is the documentation of the first church uh, and starting many churches throughout the world and then beyond that at least 18 and debatably up to 22 of the other books in the new testament were originally letters that were written to a church or a pastor of a church. And Revelation, the book of Revelation within it, contains a message directly from Jesus Christ to seven churches. So that's at least 20 or possibly up to 24 of the 27 books of the New Testament with tremendous focus on the Christian church. Church is very important to God. Not just the building, not just what we're doing here this morning in the services, but most importantly, the assembling together of God's people in unity with one another and their focus towards Christ. When this is done correctly, when we are focused on Christ, a special thing takes place. And let me tell you, our fellowship is very special. As many of you spend more time around our fellowship, go to uh, conferences and things like that, you'll experience this uh, firsthand, how much we do together. And it's because Jesus, because it's important to God, because, it, because Jesus commanded it, because the body of Christ is meant to assemble together. You read in the books of, book of Acts, it says, they came together daily, going from house to house and breaking bread together. You see, the reality is, as humans, we will ultimately link our hearts to something. It's inevitable. That's how we work. It's it's how we function. We were created for relationship. And we will ultimately link our hearts to something, whether it will be church, the body of Christ, or the world. A Christian who refuses or fails to link with the people of God in a meaningful way is a Christian who will continually be an easy target for the enemy. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 says, But to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Listen, without a doubt, the devil is scheming against your life. This is part of being a Christian. This is part of being a part of this church. The devil has schemes against this church even. But Matthew, uh, Matthew 16, 18-19, Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus says the gates of hell cannot defeat his church. Amen. But us alone, as individuals, we're not a one-man army. We are vulnerable, pray. We must link with the heart of God. We must link with the church. We must link with the body of Christ. And when we are unified as believers in the body of Christ, it brings a protection and a power and a blessing that we cannot achieve, that we cannot reach on our own. Unity of the body brings blessing to the body. Blessing flows down from God when we are linked together in unity psalms uh, chapter 133 says behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity it is like precious oil on the head running down on the beard uh, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes it is like the dew of hermon which falls on the mountains of zion for there is the lord for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Much of the Word of God has great symbolism within it. This chapter is no exception. This psalm is telling us that when we dwell together in unity as brothers and sisters, that this, the blessing of the Spirit flows from above. The oil that it speaks about in verse 2 resembles the Holy Spirit. And of course, Aaron, if you don't know, was the first great high priest of Israel. He was the the head of Israel before God. And this resembles the head of the body of Christ, who is Christ himself. When we are in unification with one another, the blessing of the Holy Spirit, as we seek the head of the church, who is Christ, flows down upon us. Unity is what achieves this blessing. When we live in unity as the body under Christ, The blessing of the Holy Spirit flows to us from Christ himself. So what does this unity look like? Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 5 says, Being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest but also to the interest of others have this mind among yourself which is yours in christ jesus putting the needs of the body of christ as a whole above the needs of the body of me we live in one of probably one of the most selfish generations that we've seen in a long time maybe where it's me, myself, and I look out for number one. But something amazing happens in a group of people when we are looking out for each other. Guess what? You're looking out for everybody else, and everybody else is looking out for you. And then amazing things happen. Amazing things take place. And we see in our text, it says, No one said that any of these things belonged to him, was his own but they had everything in common. This shows an extraordinary care for one another that the early church had, that even the things that were uh, by law, their own possessions, they said, you know what, If this is mine, but if somebody else needs it, I will give it up for the benefit of the body. You don't see that happen in the world today. And then Acts goes on to tell uh, about how people even went as far as selling their own properties so that they could give the money to those in need within the church. Now, I feel it's necessary, especially in today's day and age, that this is uh, uh, selling things and getting rid of things and giving things to take care of those in need. But listen, I don't want to get too political, but this is not socialism. Socialism is forced. These people did it because they had the love of Christ within them. It was their decision to sacrifice for their brothers and sisters. People say Jesus was a socialist. No, Jesus wanted people to give out of the abundance of their love, not because they were forced to. Okay, back off of that. I just feel that when you talk about stuff like that, it's important to make that, that note. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 3 through 6 says we must be eager to maintain unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to be the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One God over one body. We are that one body. The body of Christ. Together we are one body. Philippians chapter 1 verses 27 through 28 speaks of living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. It says we must be standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened In anything by our opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation that is from God." When we are unified in the gospel, in the body of Christ, we will make enemies for ourselves. (laughs) People will, the, the devil will come against what is happening. Why? Because a unified body in Christ resembles his destruction. The world will call us a cult. The world will call us creepy and weird and too close. And you guys go to church too much. But the Bible tells us that when we are unified as the body of Christ, great power comes among us. And it is a clear sign of our salvation that is from God. It is a unity that you cannot find anywhere in the world. We must stand firm in our unity in the gospel because it is our salvation. We must stand firm against anything that threatens the unity of God's people. Let's return to our text, Acts 4, verse 32 through 33. Now in the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of these things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. You see, in life, we tend to pray, God, send your spirit to bring us closer. God, send your spirit to give us unity. God, send your spirit to bring us blessing. But rather, the Holy Spirit will come upon us when we have become unified. When we have come together in one accord to seek Him, when we are unified with Him and His people, as we seek the power of of the Holy Spirit, is then when it comes. Verse 32, we were of one heart and one soul. And then in verse 33 it says, with great power they gave the testimony of Jesus, and great grace was upon them. Who wants great power and great grace? That is found in unity in the body of Christ. This is the beginning of the Christian church. Acts chapter 1 verse 14 says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. This was the apostles and Jesus' followers after he had ascended into heaven. All of these people were of one accord devoted to prayer, to unity so that they could see Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit. They understood that we must come together as one in prayer to see this promise that Jesus gave us come to fruition. And then we see it in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. And when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting still unified, still together, there on the day of Pentecost. They were all together in one place. Together, still as one, and then the Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy Spirit came upon them, and it changed the whole dynamic of each person's life, of that group, and of that city. Those same people, by the power of the Spirit, in the unity of the body of Christ, proceeded to turn the entire world upside down and change the course of history to this very day. D.L. Moody said there are two ways of being united. One is by being frozen together, and the other is by being melted together. What Christians need is to be united in brotherly love And then they may expect to have power. The example we see from the beginning of the Christian church in the book of Acts is clear. If we want the Holy Spirit's power in our lives, if we want the Holy Spirit's blessing in our lives and in our church and in our city and even beyond, we need to be unified together as the body of Christ. And this is something that I believe our small church here in Pasco is a tremendous example of. Something I believe that we embody with with great exampleship to to the church world today. But we also cannot be ignorant to the schemes against it to ruin it. Because as we've discovered, as we've discussed It is through this unity that the power of the Holy Spirit moves. And just as much as we know that from the Scriptures, the devil knows that as well. We cannot be ignorant that he will come against it. Because church, listen, right now, as a church, as this body, we are in our upper room. And we are one. We are seeking the power of the Holy Spirit. And in our congregation, with our unity, the Holy Spirit is sure to come, and He is sure to make things happen in this church. When I delivered the Year of Victory sermon one year ago, things looked very different than they look today. There are people sitting here today that weren't there last year. There were people that were sitting there last year that aren't there today, but God carried out His vision, and one year from today, things will look different here. But through this unity, through this church, through this body, we can see the Holy Spirit through this year and His power move through our lives as a church, through our lives as individuals, because we are one in the body of Christ. We see through the rest of of the book of Acts, that the Holy Spirit moves powerfully both for churches and for individual people through miracles and through practical means. But it all started as a small group of people in an upper room, acting and living as the body of Christ, seeking Christ above all things, unified in one accord. And seeking Christ first, before anything. As people come through these doors, they will not see skin colors. They won't see different pasts. They will not see age gaps, wage gaps, character gaps. They will see that through the power and unification of the Holy Spirit, that we are one. That we are one body of Christ. That our love for one another reflects the love of Jesus Christ. And they will no longer long, I'm sorry, they will long for what we have. The unification that can only be found through the love of Jesus Christ. Can I have every head bowed and every eyes closed this morning?